and welcome to the latest edition of the Optic Nerds podcast. In today's episode, Vampires, Queens, Films. Welcome to the uh, Optic Nerds podcast. I'm Mark Finch, as ever. I'm joined on my left by the uh, pancake-loving Pete Auger. Yeah, hello. And the uh, fantastic Phil Beresford. Hello. What's so funny about that? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) It just was. Yeah. It's Um, just so naturally very funny, Phil. First off, uh, I'd just like to... On behalf of my fellow nerds, I'd like to apologise. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we did promise <laughs> a Halloween special. We did. And uh, and we failed you. We failed you. But uh, hey, we're human. Yeah. Well, we had kind of a bit of illness, which was followed by a bit of annual leave, a bit of having to go away with work. Um, Mark has a work schedule, which makes me wonder if he is actually, in fact, a vampire. Um, <laughs> um, I, I work for the government. <laughs> That's all I'm allowed to say. No, yeah. So we are, like Mark says, most mo- most sorry um, about the delay. Yeah, and I spent some time in prison. So, without aside, um, before we kick off tonight, um, just a quick word about Ken Russell. Really, um, if you're really into film, if you're really particularly into British film, you'll you'll know the news that Ken Russell sadly passed away. Um, obviously, this is the man that uh, did a lot for British cinema in the uh, in the seventies. Um, probably his most famous piece of work would be *The Devils*, which has uh, been hounded with controversy since its uh, well before it was even released. During its filming, it was um, it was causing quite a stir with the BBFC, or um, well, not that there were the BBFC then. What were they called? I don't know actually, but you're right. It was the, the release of that film seemed to be more of a negotiation rather than a um, uh, than a sort of a a director's cut, if you like, That's between right. the American distributors, Ken Russell, and what was then the BBFC. It was bizarre, bizarre, unique situation. So what we're going to do is we're not not today, not for this particular episode, but we're going to do a Ken Russell special at some point in the near future. Um, apparently, The Devils is finally getting a, a well. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, a proper home video release. It's never had one, not a decent one anyway. Before. Huzzah. Yeah, so um, when that is announced, when that gets released, we'll do a, a lovely Ken Russell special. We'll talk about The Devils, we'll talk about Tommy, maybe uh, Lair the think, White Worm <laughs> as well. And we'll do a film each. We'll do, we'll yeah, do a film each, yeah, yeah, Phil and I were having a bit chatty, so we'll do a Ken Russell film each. We thought um, you'll probably want to do The Devils. Or, or Altered States, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Phil was... Crimes of Passion. Crimes of Passion. Ooh. And I would be over the Keith Moon... Who? If we did, Tommy. <laughs> oh, okay. Who? No, no. Nah. Uh, 
Yes, why not? He was a pimp. Sorry, that laugh went really weird then. <laughs> yeah. I've never done that noise before. <laughs> That's he, the exact sound an ostrich makes when you kick it in the bum. <laughs> That's really weird. The frame of reference is there, obviously, for you, Mark. <laughs> so, in uh, today's episode, um, yes, indeed, vampires and queens. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's a queen special, don't forget. Oh, yeah, a queen special. Not Her Majesty, but rather His Majesty, or four of them. Uh, talking about the rock band Queen now uh, earlier on in the year 2011 they re-released all of their back catalogue of albums all digitally remastered and spruced uh, up was that the spurious reason why we said we'd do a Queen special that's it and uh, I figured well they uh, they wrote the music for you know some of the songs for Highlander they wrote the most of the music score for Flash Gordon what a fantastic double bill that would make to uh cult classics from the 1980s so we figured we'd do that that's going to be in the later part of the show but in the first part we'd review uh, we thought we'd review a new vampire film that came out on DVD oh, about a month ago now which is also relevant because steak was actually the favourite meal of Queen bassist John Deacon <laughs> and that is a fact mm. so steak land steak that is the reason why we've it's in the Queen special yeah absolutely. that's exactly. it yeah, hmm. I'm glad you cleared that up. Hmm. Um, so that's it. So our first film would be Stakeland. I believe he likes a beer sauce with it. Oh, I heard he liked it blue. Ah. Do you know what? I think it depends what mood he's in. Yes, he's quite grumpy. So maybe when he's in one of his grumpy moods, uh, he just likes to eat something's flesh. <laughs> uh, I think it might be because Brian May doesn't like the, the the he doesn't like the sight of blood. So I think he doesn't eat it. Blue, if uh, Brian May's there. Okay. So when enough. he goes around Brian May's house for dinner, yeah, and maybe Brian's working out some difficult sums. Um, yeah, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk yourselves down a dead alley there. Yeah, no. and I was having no part of it. I know. It? You see, Phil knows when to step back <laughs> because we are going nowhere. <laughs> Hundred miles an hour. <laughs> if that was a visual, if this was a, a visual podcast more than a an, aud, an audio podcast, you'd have just seen me shuffling sideways, mm. just <laughs> just out of shot there in the background. Actually, if we carried on and there'd been an opening for a killer gag, he'd have been right in there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what would you take me for? To save a day. But anyway, maybe we should review the film. Okay. Yeah. No, not a bad idea. So, Stakeland, yeah, okay. Now, I, I don't know if... This this did actually, surprisingly, get a cinema release in the UK, albeit a very uh, limited one, and I think it was only around for a week or two, wasn't it? Um, not very long. Yeah, not long at all. And probably only in sort of London cinemas on the whole, maybe yeah. a few scattered regionally, but... Yeah, that's it. And I think one of the reasons for that is probably because it's, it's not really a particularly well-known cast in the film anyway so Stakeland America uh, has been uh, torn asunder by a a vampire scourge (laughs) that was an amazing sentence (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in the midst of all this uh, a group of survivors uh, travel across the uh, um, America to uh, to try and find salvation in a land that they've heard of called New Eden it's uh, sort of in the Canada area of the uh, North American continent and uh, along the way they may or may not find that some of the uh, 
humans they encounter are actually probably worse than the vampires that they're trying to escape from. <laughs> How ironic. Yeah, sorry. Um, so, Phil, what did, you th- what did you think of Stakeland? Go to Pete first. Pete, what did you think of Stakeland? What did I think? Okay. Mm. First off, I guess I should set my, set my stall up by saying I actually liked it. I didn't like it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. It uh, it's, um, doesn't hang about. I like the fact that it chucks you into a scenario where they don't give you any explanation. It's just... It's sink or swim. Yeah. You're in this situation. Vampires have, at some point taken over the world you don't you don't hear if it was like an epidemic like 28 days later you don't know if it was some alien slime or some bizarre government uh, thing that turned everyone into these vampires but it uh, this film decides it's not going to actually tell you why all this has happened all you just all you just presented with is vampires are there and they've taken over and it's all about survival the other thing i also quite liked is that it didn't set it's sorry it did set its stall out quite early about you know we are going to be pretty effing nasty in this film, and we're not gonna we're not gonna pander to any necessarily pander to any senses or any kind of um, we're not gonna try and get this to the uh, to to necessarily the younger teenage crowd, uh, and the opening scene where the young protagonist, uh, whose name is simply Martin, you know, is M- Martin played by Connor Paolo, uh, his family gets slaughtered. This isn't a spoiler. This happens in the first five minutes. His family gets slaughtered in uh, in quite horrible ways within the first five minutes of the film, and that family includes a baby, which often is kind of you know one of the most shocking things you can see on film. So when that happens, uh, not necessarily in the most graphic way, but you know you know what's happened and you see, you kind of see it happening. You realise that man, this film is you know it's not going to hold back. <laughs> it, it, it's... it's certainly no Twilight. <laughs> yes, <laughs> these are. Uh, these are vampires as mindless hunters. These aren't romantic heroes. Yeah, not sun-glittering bastards. <laughs> no, indeed. So, I mean, that... I mean, so to me, you know, it, it, I realised quite early on that, oh, fair enough, you, you know, you, you're telling us right now from the off that this is going to be probably quite a nasty film, quite bleak. It definitely owes something, on the whole, uh, the film as a whole, to the... Uh, the zombie genre over the vampires. It's a lot more like a lot of zombie films than it is like a, a lot of vampire films because it's kind of got that post-apocalyptic road movie feel to it that you'll see. Uh, one of the films, uh, it's a lot like in st- story structure rather than tone, tone is Zombieland uh, because you've got uh, a young guy teams up with an older more seasoned fighter and along the way they pick up a, a sort of a, a more and more of a little family unit if you like uh, as you if you like if you, as they go along yeah. um, and the other movie I've heard it compared to which you think is also quite right is monsters because it's it's in a scenario where it's much more kind of human drama with a horror backdrop in the same way that monsters was kind of human drama with an alien backdrop and little little sort of symbols and images around around the place where, where while they're going on their kind of road trip to New Eden that is one of the main strengths of it actually and, yeah. and I didn't I didn't love it but I, I, I liked it and and I think that the the characterization is to the fore in this film and it's one of the strengths of the film um, 
probably for the best really because it is indistinguishable almost from the the zombie apocalypse that we or the zombie apocalypse scenario that we're, that we're familiar with i mean the line between vampire and zombie has never been so blurred as it is in this film yeah um, that's true i think maybe i was kind of my expectations were too high based on some of the things i'd read mm. because it, it is kind of fairly generic it doesn't do a lot of things um new we, we've seen most of it before yeah yeah for um sure. so um for that reason i was i was slightly disappointed um but having said that, there's some good moments. Uh, I really like the um, the attack on the the, the 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 kind of safe haven where um, they're all having a nice night. They're having a bit of a sing and a dance and a drink, and all of a sudden, the um, there's like a religious kind of group, isn't there? There is of humans, yeah, and um, who object to these other group of humans. I can't remember why now. Why is it? What, what's the they, well, they they think that um, the the vampires were sent there by God. That's right. Right. That's to, right. To, yeah. You know. Anyway, they st- they they fly over this this compound, and they just drop vampires on them. They bomb them with vampires. That that was a truly unique. Yeah. Uh, I'd never seen that before in a film, and I yeah. thought that was brilliant. And yeah. it was actually because because at first you don't you really don't actually know what's going on as well because like you say they're all having a great time and you start to relax. The characters are starting to relax as well, and then all of a sudden you know this helicopter turns up and you hear a woman scream. As 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 it you know as, as this woman is thrown from the helicopter and lands you know on a bloodied heap on the floor, and it's as she gets up you realise holy crap that's a you know it's a vampire mm. and and it's a really effective moment because it's absolute chaos in the film yeah and um, so certainly one of the highlights of the film for me that scene it is it's quite shocking and it, quite it, it's, you know it's upsetting. really well made I mean the the budget it, it kind of belies its budget mm. uh, it looks it looks wonderful uh, well acted um, good moments but kind of familiar for all that you know and the, the fact that it's vampires isn't um, isn't different enough to kind of make you think you're going to see something new if you know what I mean yeah it's it's not yeah. it was kind of what I mean by that is that that was kind of the hook for getting people um, generating interest in this film it was a, an apocalyptic scenario but with vampires but they really are very zombie-like, you know. That they're, they're they're kind of that they're mindless and uh, well, they're mostly mindless. We know the character who later yeah, on yeah. Um, develops into something else. But uh, yeah, it's I'd, I'd still kind of lump it in as a zombie film, really, to all intents and purposes. I'd agree, but at least it owes a debt, and it does owe quite serious amounts of debt. <laughs> to all these days, love. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're all in dire straits, tightening our belts. But uh, this particular film, at least, it kind of goes. It, it it does the homage or the uh, or the or the um uh, or, or the treatment of the zombies slash vampires is more your Romero style than it is your kind of quick cut, maybe Dawn of the Dead remake style or you know mm. the more modern zombie films that you've seen of late. It's very bleak. Yeah, it, um, it takes yeah. it takes its cue from more from the seventies. It, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's more of a slow burner than a yeah. than a MTV, you know, music video sort of quick cutting. Exactly what I mean. Yeah. Exactly, what did you yeah, think? What yeah, do you think? Mark? Sorry, you let us bang on a bit. So. <laughs> just no, no, one, no, no, one no, thing. No. Oh, oh, sorry. No, just fair play to um, what's the name of the director? Jim Mickle. Yes. Mickle. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah Mickle. Jim yeah. Mickle. Jim Mickle and his writing partner, uh, Nick uh, Demichi, who is actually plays the character of Mister in the film That's who's right, the yeah. main oh, right, okay. vampire guy. I, I understand that in this film he, he didn't he directed it he um, he edited it 
he he's a visual effects guy. Um, oh, okay. He's also he takes a cameo as a guy on the radio. Um, okay. Kind of, so he's got an acting role in there. Uh, he's fairly he, he wrote it. Yeah, correct. So it, yeah. you know this is a man who uh, this is this is someone who kind of aspires obviously to be uh, or maybe it's just purely circumstance. But th- this is an auteur in the making, perhaps. I fully agree with that. I'd, I'd like to think so because I think. I do agree with you, Phil. I think more than with Pete, and that I did find this film a bit just a bit too generic for its own good. And like you say, just replacing the the zombies with vampires doesn't make this particularly stand mm. out in any way, shape, or form. Basically, yeah. if you've if you've ever seen a zombie film, or if you've ever read zombie literature, and trust me, there's enough of it out there. It's pretty much exa- you know this film, you know Stakeland. Just replace the vampire uh, the zombies with vampires, and it's pretty much exactly the same. What what makes this maybe stand out a little, and I mean a little bit more, is that this was an independent film, and considering the budget that it, that it cost to make this film, it's it's incredibly well done, and it's nice to see to see you nice. <laughs> you see, that's what I'm talking about. Absolutely, that's the killer line. That's it. I wish He's in I, there. I wish I'd, in I wish I'd done the voice now. <laughs> Well, do you want to do the voice? And in this business we call show, Phil, you're 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 right in there with the killer lines. Sorry, no, it's, it's it's nice to see an independent film so well produced. Like you say, that apart from a couple of dodgy CGI moments on the whole, or green screen, I should say, there's a couple of dodgy green screen moments, but on the whole, the, you know, the film looks fantastic, and I really mean that. It looks very good. Um, and like like Pete was saying, it doesn't hold back. It's it's relatively bloody and it and it's, yeah, it's quite fairly, adult in its fairly, themes. Fairly but nasty, isn't yeah. it? What's the name of the guy who's the um, the the not the not the lad, the um, the guy who saves him at the beginning, and then he's the main character. Oh, Mister. He's just referred he's, to as Mister. Yeah. What's yeah. the name of the actor though? Mister and his sister is the uh, is the nun. Um, but it's uh, Nick Nick Demichi. What's uh, it? Who's the co-writer? He co-wrote. Ah, really? Mm. Okay. Has he been in anything else? Pass. I'll be oh, honest. Uh, um, I know he yeah, was in Mulberry the... Street, which is a film which but, he also yeah, co-wrote and directed with Mickle, with Mr. Mickle. Uh, but I, you know, I honestly don't know him. I mean, the, the, there's a couple of. I mean, Danielle Harris is in it a bit later on, and she's obviously kind of a genre kind of you know pops up in lots of genre flicks. I thought she was actually really good in this. Um, and she, yeah, she, yeah. she got, got to act a bit in this. Yeah, I, thought, I just thought he was a really interesting actor yeah. because he's but not yeah, sorry, kind of. Um, it's not your kind of uh, your typical action lead you know um, sorry action hero or, or even kind of male uh, y- y- your typical male lead really just a very interesting looking bloke who, who's kind of got that sort of brooding charisma that's probably um, why are you smirking? No I'm just thinking of the film ah. yeah. so there's nothing wrong with saying brooding charisma is there? No, no not at all. all not gay or anything? No, no. no there's anything wrong with that? <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> this is the Queen special after all. <laughs> Absolutely, darling. I've sang them all. <laughs> the Danny LaRue thing was kind of inevitable. It was, it was <laughs> going to come out. It was going to come out. Might as well get it done in the first 10 minutes. Kiss me, honey, honey, kiss me. <laughs> but I should actually say as well that we're. we're I, I don't want to. Sort of put my, my my flagpole down to say you know this this was a, a great film uh, I really like this film I just thought like you said Mark there's enough in there to and you said Phil as well actually as well that there's enough in this film to show that this guy has a, a real good eye absolutely um, yeah and 
it's a film for really amazing moments and characterization. There are some massive missteps in it. I don't want to um, do any spoilers here, but there is, uh, towards the ending of the film, there is a moment where they come across a, a particular vampire, which I thought was extremely contrived and just, honestly, just kind of plain bad. It's it's like they had to have a main protagonist in yeah. a film that didn't need one. It really didn't need and it, one. And it really pulled you out of the film. And that's where, while they were kind of following the monster's ethic, if you like, which I'm not saying yeah. monsters necessarily created, created that ethic, but... Well, well, they, well, why they sort of went that route for about 10 minutes it became a your bog standard B-movie bollocks um, yeah. which I love a bit of B-movie bollocks but not in a film which hasn't been like that at all yeah. for about you know 70 minutes and that really pulled me out of the film I have to yeah. say and that was, it was such a shame. shame but but to be honest th- this film was actually you know uh, uh, among horror fans this film was getting quite a lot of accolades it was you know a lot of people were bigging it up um, the the horror film festival we go to Fright Fest, you know they they showed a clip of it and said you know this this is a fantastic film that's coming out later on in the year and and I guess I was just I think you've said it as well Phil I think you know I was expecting more uh, and all, and all we got was just a generic road trip apocalypse you know um, but with vampires and but just there's just there really was nothing that knew in terms of the storyline it was it was nice to see that they did try and add a bit of characterization it was nice to see that it wasn't just like you say the dawn of the dead remake although i did like the dawn of the dead remake yeah absolutely but it wasn't trying to be that so you know a fair play to them for that but at the end of the day it wasn't that much different well this this film is probably closer to say what i am legend was trying I mean, I am legend for me, and I'm talking about the film, not not the book. The book's one of my favourite books ever written. The film with Will Smith was, uh, you know, a, a cinematic abortion that Hollywood squirted out of its celluloid cunt. Quite frankly, <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, and, I, I, no, terrible, terrible. Well, I'm the, sorry. The, uh, <laughs> we'll probably put the explicit tag on this particular episode, but that's fine. You know, we're all emotional fellows and with strong opinions. Hey, come on. But this is the oh. Queen special, Mark, and the word cunt, quite frankly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm That's alright, don't worry. Having to fan myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, I, but, but yeah. my, my, my point is is that Hollywood makes these films and they, they tend to get it wrong. So it was nice it was nice seeing uh, you know, an independent group of guys trying to do it and, and making a film that was better. But I'd still I still waiting for them to get get it right so let's put a stake through this particular film's heart and <laughs> oh nice yeah <laughs> I don't know there's still I don't know I, I, still I, I haven't a, got I a stake all, of, uh, all I've got is this vegetarian sausage sorry <laughs> for then <laughs> you've been sitting on that one for a while uh, he's been sitting on a vegeta- vegetarian sausage for I a while have, yes yeah. <laughs> well this is after all the Queen's special no I don't know. <laughs> this is just delving into weird areas oh, um, well, uh, well yeah. that's, that's, that's what Freddie Mercury said yes. um, but uh, music I just want to say a, a, a chap I think his name is Jeff Grace who did the music I thought the music the score complemented the film very well because it was a very dramatic score and it was a bit like okay. I tell you what I read a review so I'm not going to take credit for this but um, this film uh, it said it put vampires in a setting that looked like the Winter's Bone, and I don't know if you've seen the Winter's Bone, but it's a f- 
bloody, no, bloody good not, film. Still not seen uh, but that's a really good description because it was kind of very slow, laborious, kind of dramatic music in this horror setting. So I just wanted to give a shout out to the music uh, before we conclude. Oh, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> no, I, no I, 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 sorry, I wasn't laughing at you. It's just the, uh, uh, you know, the way things kind of just occur to you. And when you said uh, very dramatic music here, I thought, well, it's a very dramatic film. You know, it, it needs dramatic music. Mm. And I started imagining this film with kind of. <laughs> no, what with with Hills Honeys? What were they called? Um, <laughs> no, Hills Angel. Hills Angel. <laughs> I'm, I'm not of that age, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, sorry, but we can wrap it up now. Yeah, sorry. Although can, I do think it would have been a very interesting film if it had like you know polka music all the way through. Oh, yes. Are we? <laughs> yeah. So, driving straight through the heart of this review conclusions. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, it's. It's. A perfectly watchable hour and forty-five minutes of your time. I, I think uh, if you like, if you like this kind of thing, you won't hate this film. I don't think you'll love it, but it, it's definitely watchable. And um, and do you know what? One thing I didn't say is is that the way the film ends. If they did make a follow-up or a sequel, I I probably would I probably would want to go and watch it because I am interested to find out what would happen. Cool. Uh, I, I kind of endorse that, um, but I, I think what's more uh, interesting really is the the notion that Jim Mickle is kind of someone to watch. Having said that, he doesn't seem to be particularly uh, prolific because he's made um, prior to this he's made two films, and they, there's been about a four year gap in between each. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Maybe this will kind of take him to another level, and it, suddenly he's got offers now, and he can he'll start yeah. making more films. But um, uh, it would be nice if he did because I think he's someone who who um, would be worth watching. His films would be worth watching. Completely agree with that, actually. Uh, yeah. But think, I think, I think more, uh, think more of the film. Although it does obviously ha- have a lot of similarities to other films, I think it stands alone just fine. There are just some major missteps which just take it out of that kind of uh, higher bracket of me liking it into just kind of the, more the mid range, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but I did like the the dramatic side of it. The the, the effects were great, like you say. It didn't it didn't have the money to do CG, so it had to do practical effects a lot of the time. And thank God for that. Yeah, which I think, and, and I take that back to the I Am Legend thing, where yeah. they obviously had a massive budget. That was all CGI, and I just thought it looked terrible. And the, the film was much better for the fact that they had to use the budget to do decent practical effects. Uh, so I, I would give it a recommendation. When will they ever learn? Curse you, James Cameron. <laughs> we, but we do. You know, I would say to to the, anyone listening, give this film a go because I mean, I, like you say, I think it's very stylish, very watchable, just not absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I think I think any errors that were made in the film is more down to the script than any directorial decision. Yeah, yeah, it's more to do with the story than than anything else. So. Definitely would be a good idea to uh, to see what the director does. <laughs> Stakeland. Yes. <laughs> now Queen Double Bill next. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got virtually nothing to say about Flash Gordon. Unbelievable amounts to say about Highlander. It's unfucking true. <laughs> Be 
Peter, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. <laughs> Fuck yeah. It's our Queen Double Bill. Flash Gordon. Highlander. Now, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't really uh, quite sure. I thought Queen Double Bill just doesn't sound quite right. And I was trying to think of other sort of ways we could, you know, what we could call it. I was thinking, you know, we could sort of mix the titles up and have, you know, um, sort of like uh, Flash High or, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, Flash Lander (laughs) uh, or Gordon Lander. I'm not sure that's really. That just sounds like a dude. Yeah, actually, it sounds like um, sounds like an MP for the British National Party, Gordon <laughs> Lander. Anyway, uh, so in the end, I just decided on um, them two films. What Queen wrote some of the music for? Yeah. So here they are: uh, Flash Gordon, 1980, and Highlander, 1986. Six. Six. Yeah. Based in 85. That's not right. 85, but released in 86. Well, where to begin? I mean, if you if you don't know the story of Flash Gordon, you know, where have you been for the last 80 years? But uh, You might have just been born. In which case, well done for listening to this podcast. Hey, yeah. we welcome all people, all comers. All comers, all ages. That's it. Um, in which case, hang your head in shame for your language earlier, if there are any oh, new ones listening. Oh, I did, I did say I am legend, didn't I? You did. Oh, yeah. God. No. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry if I insulted anyone by mentioning that film. Optically, I've apologised profusely for saying I am legend in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome preschoolers. <laughs> Go and ask your mummy and daddy what I am legend means. <laughs> it's when a daddy bird... <laughs> yeah. It's when a daddy bird and a mummy vampire love each other very much. They get Emma Thompson to... Right, a cure for cancer. Anyway, and computer graphics take over, and that's it. <laughs> so, Flash Gordon, the Earth is being attacked by some kind of alien force, and uh, our titular hero, uh, Flash, he's a uh, American football superstar, is um, quarterback for the New York Jets. That's it. Right. Along with a, ah, uh, oh, what is she a reporter? No, she's got. Well, I only watched the film a couple of hours ago. <laughs> Got what is. she does. Yeah, she's a reporter. She's a reporter. She's an ace reporter. Mm. That's right. Dale Arden. Dale Arden, yeah. And a crazy Dr. Zarkov. Uh, is that supposed to be a joke? In the, is that like a joke? Is that a nudge nudge joke? What? D- Dale Arden? Yeah. What? D- Dale Hardon? Yeah. Oh. Uh, I don't know. I don't think. I'd, no. I'd put it this way I'd never no. got that reference. No. Fair enough. Mm. Carry on. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe not like Ivor Arden sort of thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey come on it was a sticky end <laughs> no, we should uh, mm. show a bit more respect for Ivor yeah. <laughs> nobody likes to go that way no. I think we should withdraw from this <laughs> train of 
conversation before we make a mess of Come it. Come on, all. we're losing <laughs> listeners by the second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're we're trying to explain away carry on comedy. Uh, yeah, Flash um, Gordon. Flash Gordon, Dale Arden, and uh, the crazy Doctor Zarkov get captured by Ming the Merciless and uh, try and save the universe and Earth as well. Um, based on a very popular comic strip, radio show, TV series, yeah, all from what the nineteen thirties and forties, I believe. Yeah, it? I think it was kind of um, maybe even a, yeah. you know, we've um, we, we spoke, I think, in the last podcast about how. Uh, it was kind of a lot of what George Lucas I think George Lucas was thinking of doing he was, he was Flash make Gordon it, he was going to make it and then he found that uh, I think it was is it Dino De Laurentiis yeah yeah he'd produced he'd the, got the rights yeah. or something and uh, so he went off and made a went off and made a little film you might have heard of it called <laughs> Star Wars <laughs> Star Wars <laughs> Oh. Sometimes I really wish this was being filmed. Because <laughs> let me tell you, my facial expressions were gold. Yeah, uh, ladies and gentlemen, they <laughs> truly, truly were. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, he, that, that was the he wanted to make this um, space film, didn't he? Uh, science fiction, sort yeah. of space shenanigans yeah. thing, and um, couldn't make Flash Gordon, so he, he made he made Star Wars. Hmm. And it's weird that you know I don't think Flash Gordon would have been made. Uh, maybe if Star Wars hadn't been so popular, because it's it's quite obviously inspired by Star Wars. Yeah, I did, well, the uh, the whole. Um, I mean, you, we know, don't we, that the, the, the glut of kind of space um, themed movies that came out post Star Wars, and it yeah. kind of lasted for about a decade, didn't it? At, at the very least, it, I mean, I, when I, when I, what I'm talking about here is that is the the, the kind of cash in products really. Mm. Um, and uh, Flash Gordon, although it was a kind of property well established, obviously years and years before, you're right. I don't think um, maybe maybe they wouldn't have made it. Um, yeah. But having said that, they had the rights to make it before Gordon. Gordon. <laughs> George <laughs> Lucas <laughs> made Star Wars. So hey, hang on a second. They, they were going to make be. it anyway. But uh, that is true. Convert. Hang on. The universe is kind of imploding a little bit here. What happened? Chicken and egg. We're being sucked in a vortex here, a vortex of Ming's making. Yeah, I, I, I wish uh, I got yeah. started on that now. Let's carry on. Okay. Well, yeah. Enough about Ming's vortex. So yeah. So Flash Gordon, um, from what I remember, was critically derided when it came out in 1980, and um, as far as I understand, pretty much the same. Uh, at the moment, um, it's not never been a particularly wow. well loved film, but the, there is kind of a cult audience for it. It's mainly our age, though, isn't it? I think so. I, I, I think the kids um, when it came out. Yeah, it's not. A, I don't think this is a film that will be rediscovered by future generations and, and adored. You know, mm. um, I think it's just people who, who kind of maybe grew up with it at the time, and um, there are all sorts of different reasons for kind of feeling an, an affection for it. I mean, when I saw it initially, I remember thinking that it didn't look that impressive I thought it was it looked pretty crappy in terms of special effects at the time you know yeah because Star Wars had set the benchmark at a certain level and this looked very blue petery in terms of the the kind of guns that they were using and what I'm you oh, know yeah. it had a bit of a doctor who kind of charm yeah, yeah. a charm I guess you'd say but that sort yeah. of yeah <clears throat> so I was never a big flash of, um fan um fan gordon uh I was never a big. <laughs> you were never a fan, Gordon. I think that's. <laughs> I, was, 
think that's what they should be called. Oh, yeah. the Fan Gordons. Uh, Fan Gordons. What I meant to say was I was never a big fan of Flash Gordon. Okay. Although, by pure coincidence, I was never a big Flash of Fan Gordon either because <laughs> he was stalking my house for days and I said, I'm not doing it, I'm keeping my trousers on. So. It just turned out to be a flash in the pan. Honestly, yeah. Fan Gordon. But yeah, so it's not like you know you look back at it now and think, oh, wasn't it dated? It, it looked dated at the time. Having said that, it had a very kind of unique um, visual style to it. Oh yeah, and, definitely. And I think that's part of its appeal for me now that it it does look it just stands out amongst that that era's mm. kind of. Um, this was a thirty-five million dollar film. Well, depends. I mean, <laughs> I've read different things. I've read Mike Hodges. Uh, he 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 said it was 27. Okay. And he described it as uh, the only um, 27 million dollar improvised movie yeah. ever made. I mean, allow for inflation, and you're talking mega bucks. Huge, huge amount of money. Yeah. yeah. So it's amazing it looked how it did, really. But. Mm. And uh, I mean, there are certain reasons why. I, when I watched it prior to was talking about it for this, there were certain things that you know. At the time, didn't exist like uh, my friendship with Matt Walsh, for example, didn't exist. Yeah. When I first watched this, but now because every damn chance he gets, he'll he'll say, "Gordon's a laugh," <laughs> and he'll make me laugh hysterically. <laughs> I love it when he does it. I, I kind of love Flash Gordon a little bit more because Absolutely. of that, and he yeah. does it so much better than any of us do. Oh man, he's the man. I can't look at Brian Blessed in that without thinking of uh, Matt in the in the exact same outfit. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He, to, he does like to sport those pants in a way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lazy, hazy, crazy Gypsy Hill Summers. Oh, yes. Uh, it's actually interesting that, that considering how much, you know, because Flash Gordon did flop quite quite a lot when it mm. you know when it came out, that Dino De Laurentiis would then go on and produce Dune, which was another mm. big science fiction film that also at the time flopped. And it was just a bit weird that it sort of went... Again, I don't think Dune would have been made if it hadn't been for the success of Star Wars. No, I mean, he's always been a producer who's kind of had his eye on, you know, established properties with with a view to kind of hoping that they'll he, he's he's got yeah. or, he's, or he's making them at the right time. Because he did the, he did Conan as well, didn't he? The yeah, and, uh, I mean, he kind of uh, the, the big one that he kicks himself for is the Silence of the Lambs, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. And then he he only kind of procured the the rights for the the uh, the, the, the sequels to that. Um, but as far as Flash Gordon goes, I I, I think uh, it's it's kind of got it's it, it's got a charm of its own really. It does stand out amongst amongst the films made the the, the kind of science fiction films made of that year, and it's all the stronger for the for the Queen as we as we were talking. Oh the, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. It's all the stronger for the soundtrack really, you know, and it's very synthy and kind of uh, it's got a great cast. An amazing cast, really. Amazing. Yeah, and no, it would really have been good. even better if Kurt Russell hadn't have uh, turned down the lead role. Oh, no, that I did not know. Didn't you know that? No, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, he, um, he, he, uh, he felt, apparently, that it was um, the, the character was too uh, one-dimensional. So he turned it down. He would have been right. He's, he's absolutely right. I mean, and the, I think, well, it depends what you read and where. I mean, the, the, the Sam J. Jones, who played Flash Gordon, has since recorded a commentary for the film so he obviously has an attachment to it but I think they had to overdub a lot of his lines but you think of okay. Kurt Russell though and the kind of you know the the the, 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 the thing that the thing that he brings to a film like Big Trouble in Little China you know that uh, it's not like he's winking at the audience but it, it he really um, 
he can play it one way um, he can play it perfectly straight yeah without winking at the audience but but still kind of give it a a, a multi-layered kind of um, appeal if you like yeah, yeah absolutely I mean he, yeah. he, well he's I, I don't think very well well put it this way I know exactly what you mean yeah. Yeah. no totally what you mean and also you could also just say he's just a hell of a better actor yeah, than the chap who played Flash Gordon. But you know what? If he had, if he had played Flash Gordon, we might he might not have played Snake Plissken. Because mm. Snake, because I'm pretty sure Escape from New York was shot in 1980. So well, it came out. Was it 81? Yeah. So or 82? So 81. Yeah, because the thing was 82. That's right. But the acting talent gives it a weight, a bit like sort of you know Cushing and Lee would in like some of the kind of the horror films of the 70s, I suppose, that would be. Are considered now rightly or wrongly to be kind of camp. The the acting talent like Max von Sydow and Tempe Dalton and Brian Blessed and uh, is it Clytus Wingard, Peter Wingard? I think it is. Peter Wingard. Um, they just it, it gives the it gives it weight. I'd forgotten. Uh, Peter Wingard played um, Clytus, the guy with the the mask, the, the gold, mask, yeah. the gold mask. Yeah. And I, I'd forgotten now, kind of uh, that they murder him. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Kill that, that, I mean, Luke Skywalker would never have done that. He he, he comes up. He's kind of given it a bit of verbals, mm. but he's no danger to anybody. Um, and then before you know it, mm. Timothy Dalton gives him the old ooh ha, <laughs> and Flash Gordon kind of gives him a body tackle and throws him on the spikes. Yeah, it's the old uh, it's the old uh, Baron Flash duplex. <laughs> You've not watched much professional yeah. wrestling. No, I've no idea what duplex. <laughs> but then, but then to be fair, <laughs> duplex is a, a brand of paint, isn't it? Oh, is it? <laughs> no, well, that's no, no. Duplex. That's a base. So. Oh, I thought it was a type of duplex. Is actually cleaner. a condo. It's a it's yeah. some sort of construct. I, don't Do I mean yeah, suplex. Yeah, yeah. The suplex is what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was just a really expensive type of soup. <laughs> anyway, you know what film this? But. Sorry. No, I was just um, I was just going to say you can you know Luke's got the whole Luke Skywalker thing. And I know we're going off in a, maybe maybe not should be sticking to the point which is Flash Gordon, but yeah, I mean it's all it's all well and good. Luke Skywalker never you know he, he never murdered anyone, but he did you know do a lot of animal you know abuse. He did, did killing he? killing womp rats. And, oh um, yeah, yeah, back home. Yeah, yeah, and you know sleeping in a snow thingy. Yeah, but that was that was more, that was Han Solo doing that. Luke was kind of unconscious. I don't think he really. Yeah, I suppose it wasn't kind of his call, was it? No. But um. Anyway. But I think that's what gives Flash Gordon its edge. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the murders. I completely lost the train. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing with Flash Gordon is it's it is campy fun, and that's that's what I like about it. It is really pure camp. And you're right, the special effects are god awful when you consider the budget, when you consider that the year before that Alien was made, you know, uh, well, well Alien came out the year before Alien was actually shot in 78. So, you know, two yeah. years before that, you had Alien, you know, you had Star Wars three years before. So, it, this is Mike Hodges here, the director of Get Carter. So you think, mm. how do you go from one to the other? Mike Hodges has had such such a variable career, though, you know. I mean, yeah. this is the man who made, as you say, Get Carter. He made Flash Gordon, of course. He made Croupier. Mm-hmm. I've not seen Croupier, actually. Oh, that's really Excellent. good. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good. good film, yeah. He also made Morons from Outer Space. Yeah, no. That's, no. that's not a very good film. No, don't, yeah, <laughs> Pamela Stevenson... Mel Smith you can't say he hasn't made some eclectic choices in his time. 
Yeah, I'm not sure which ones would, would have been labours of love and which ones would have been him taking a job. Well, what do you think he was yeah. going for um, with this film? Well, to be honest, you know what film this really reminds me of? And I actually say I'll, I'll, I'll put my, uh, myself in here as a, flat, a fan of this film. I know um, a lot of people aren't, but uh, people feel a, a similar... And funnily enough, it's written by the same guy, the guy who wrote the Batman series. They feel a bit about this film like they do about the Batman campy 60s show in that it doesn't really capture what the comic strip was all about. But one thing this film really does remind me of is, uh, and it might have been written somewhere, I don't know, uh, but uh, The Wizard of Oz. Oh, I really thought you were going to say carry on camping then. I'm really glad. No, 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 no. It's not quite that camp, thankfully. But to me, when I was growing up, this is a bit like a bit of a Wizard of Oz film for me, really, because you have... I, I associate it so much with the music... And I knew the soundtrack before I knew the film, really, because my brother was a big Queen fan and he had all the albums, so I used to listen to all the albums when I was young. So in scenes like... I mean, the, the, the scenes that kind of come to the fore in this film are like the football fight yeah. and in the space capsule uh, when, uh, when when the music is the kind of the driver of it and when the Hawkmen attack Ajax, the ship. It's funny, actually, you've just, you've just listed my three favourite moments of the score. Oh, right. Right, right there, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that's just... But you, you know what I mean when I say Wizard of Oz, though? Massive big storm, go through a weird vortex thing, and then you're in this kind of really amazingly colourful yeah, and yeah. amazing yeah. world. And the production design is kind of really what is what was driving that. Obviously, it's a director's eye, but um, they got this Italian production designer. I've got his name written down. I'm not going to pretend to know it off the top of my head. Um... Uh, Danilo Donati who'd done a lot of work with like Italian directors like Fellini and um, Pasolini and the flamboyant style is there for all to see oh god yeah uh, and I, you know I, I just it, it does look like something only an Italian could come up with actually yeah no I know what you mean I, I mean you look at you look at Get Carter and you think um, that's not meant to be a criticism by the way no 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 absolutely the, uh, the, amazing the, looking but films you look at Get Carter and you think how could the yeah. man made that and then make this you know absolutely but apparently I mean I don't know how you, you read things on IMDB and you think um, fairly reliable you know but apparently Mike Hodges was 8th choice to direct this film really yeah Dino uh, De Laurentiis wanted uh, Federico Fellini well Blimey, the, the, the name of um, Princess Aura who you know if Flash was at all sensible he'd have gone for Aura over Dale because she's you know, she much, much sexier um, <laughs> she red, has a little red, pet red spandex girl oh played uh, by Deep Roy yeah. uh, a little pet played by Deep Roy he's quite yeah. a famous um, little actor who he was like the Impa Limpers and the Tim Burton um, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory played all the Impa Limpers but uh, he play, he, he's like Aura's pet on a lead it all looks a bit weird really yeah. but his name is Fellini and ah, really? uh, you well, know, you know right. yeah. well, because Fellini apparently was involved in the original World War Two comic strips, the, the production of the um, original Flash Gordon comic strips. Oh right, okay. Oh, shit. So you've okay. got a, so wow. you've got a def- definitely a heavy Italian influence here oh. to the look of the film, which, like you say, when you say only an Italian could. It's very do kind that. of European. Very very yeah. Yeah. and it's not a criticism. Yeah. Those films look amazing. You know, yeah. Fellini's and Pasolini's and you know Visconti and all those yeah. all those guys. Very very unique. Um, but uh, uh, but that that to me when I was kind of like watching this as a as a younger guy, so I'm looking sort of not even early teens, maybe even before that, 
it was a bit like a magical Wizard of Oz type adventure for me. I can understand that, yeah. Because um, it was very musical driven and the characters were so flamboyant and crazy and funny. Uh, and when I watched it again recently for this podcast, you know, it loses something when you get a bit older. But yeah. I'm still going to be seeking this out on Blu-ray and buying it, I think, personally. Well, speaking of which, if you are planning on getting the Blu-ray, um, avoid the UK version. Apparently it looks awful. The American version looks better. Yeah. But the American version is still not as good as it could have been. But I don't think anyone's going to pump any decent amount of money into doing a decent transfer of this. So the American one's probably the best you're going to get. Um, anyway, I, I do just want to quickly point out that I had a massive crush on Princess Aura when I was a, when I was a kid. Mm. Massive, massive crush. Oh, just wanted to say that. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say as well, and I think we've all said it, is that how traumatic was it when I watched this for the first time that Blue Peach presenter Peter Duncan, oh god, got yeah. killed by a tree scorpion thing. That's right. Yeah. In the, not traumatic at all. In the initiation right. Oh really? Oh really? <laughs> and he was like my Blue Peach presenter along with um, uh, Sarah Green and Sal Simon. What's his face? Yeah, yeah Sarah Green. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, when the initiation right on in uh, Arborea. Uh, you know, I know it's a it's a it's a balloon with a spike, <laughs> but at the time I actually found it very very scary. Oh, absolutely, because um, we were you know very young. Uh, but but maybe I, yeah, maybe it's the age thing there. But yeah, I was about sort of eight or nine when I first saw that. I had I had a Flash Gordon annual uh, uh, with images from the film. Oh, okay, so yeah, I never so, had that. So to me, it's a very iconic film from my youth, and and watching it again, there's the nostalgia element. I think makes me still want it and I'll watch it again and I'm happy to own it yeah no I've got to say I really enjoyed it and, and it is camp you know some of the some some of the dialogue particularly in the opening 10 minutes is awful mm-hmm. and um, you know but for, for you know stick your kids in front of it and I think they'd love it top hole oh <laughs> you know we said like the acting lends weight to the material <laughs> you know hey you know I like top hole I, I do as well it's yeah, great yeah. but He's not very good at this. <laughs> Are you injured? <laughs> yeah. But still, you can't picture anyone else playing the part. That's it. So that's Flash Gordon. So how, how many how many how many Gordon Browns out of Flash in the Pans are we gonna give this one? A nostalgic eight. That's very out of I don't know what we're saying out of ten. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I think I'll have to go with seven because it's jolly good fun, I think. Jolly good fun. And I don't know about you guys, but I've grown up now. Five. Impetuous <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy! <laughs> Thanks for giving an old bird another chance. <laughs> I suddenly oh, no. feel very, very young and immature. <laughs> so that was uh, that was Flash Gordon. It was another film that Queen wrote some music for. It's just this little film made by this tiny Australian bloke. Stars a Frenchman playing a Scotsman, and a Scotsman playing a an Egyptian who comes from Spain, an American playing a Russian, and uh, <laughs> you've turned into Whispering Bob Harris. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Highlander, there can be only one. So, a race of immortal. I uh, basically I was I was res- literally just going to read the prologue <laughs> that Sean Connery reads out. For the dawn of time, they came. <laughs> <laughs> Living among you. 
No one had known they were among you until Till now. That to me, right, <laughs> is I is as iconic as like the Richard Burton. No one would have believed in the last years of the nineteenth century that human beings were being watched. You know, the world, the world. Yeah, yeah. That that opening narration from Sean Connery. That to me sends the same shivers down my spine as the Richard Burton. So it's not as iconic though, is it? To me, it is. To you, it sends shivers down your spine, but it's not as iconic. No, I'd say to me, it is. To but it's not as iconic. No. <laughs> I said to me it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll, I'll be honest with you. When it, when when I hear Preachers of the Universe, it doesn't sound the song I'm talking about, um, as opposed to the actual Prince of the Universe, which I believe is Adam, who lives in you know Castle Grayskull. Anyway, yeah. um, no, he's a master. Oh, he's the master of the universe. Mm. Anyway, um, that suggests actually that the Immortals in Highlander might have actually at some point come across He-Man and his friends because they were relegated from masters to princes of the universe. It could be, hmm. but carry on. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, I forgot what my point was. I God, think your point was it. that the uh, here yes. we are. It's not as iconic. It doesn't as... sound. Bam, bam, bam. Oh no, no, no! My point was that if I listen to the song "Princes of the Universe" by Queen, it doesn't sound quite the same unless it's got that Sean Connery <laughs> bit at the beginning, and then yeah. it kicks into "Here we are." Yeah, I fucking love that song. Yeah. Man. So yeah. That, anyway, that was my point. So anyway, you've got these uh, immortal guys who, uh, since the dawn of time, have been fighting each other for the prize. Mm -hmm. The only way they can die is uh, by decapitation. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it follows the uh, the story of uh, one particular immortal, Con McLeod and the Clan McLeod, who were born in what fifteen? What is it? Fifteen oh two? Is it like something that. like early fifteen hundreds? Yeah. And uh, basically follows his life from from his uh, clan days to his days as an antique dealer in New York, and uh, and the quickening and other things like that. And he fights for the prize. It's all very silly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm not gonna. Uh, uh, Phil, do you want to go first, or should we just let Pete talk I for twenty minutes? I, uh, yeah, it's difficult because this is Pete's. Uh, it's one of Pete's Pete films. It, yeah. It's yeah. one of your top five, isn't it, Pete, of all time? Yeah, yeah, I'll probably watch it one every year. One of your top five favourites of all time. All time. And watch it once every year at least. <laughs> <laughs> so it is difficult to talk about these films when they're people's favourites because um, you don't have the same kind of um, bond with them, I suppose. I, I remember when uh, Mark was talking about Fright Night and... Um, I think it is interesting to listen to somebody who who appreciates it both on the, the they can they can talk about it on a critical level, but also they've got that personal um, attachment to it, and that that's always interesting to hear because um, you know you you've got an a, an association with it that um, it comes of growing up with it, like you with the um, the character of. Uh, What's his oh, face? Evil Ed from, Evil Ed, uh, yeah, from Friday, yeah, yeah. yeah. Remarkably uh, and moving and <laughs> touching story there, Mark. Oh, that, thank uh, you. I think made me um, made me just think. Yeah, maybe I should give this film another chance. But uh, and it, it, with, with uh, good God, where am I going with this? <laughs> where I'm going is um, Highlander never was a. I, I think maybe because I'm a little bit older than you two, I, I kind of. Passed me by a little bit, you know. I I didn't pay a lot of attention to it when it came out at the time. Um, other than, I mean, the main reason I was aware of it was because of, of 
Queen actually that the, they'd done the soundtrack for, and it was the um, was the album was it a kind of magic? Was that the actual album or it wasn't the album of the film because the on the actual album you've got a couple of films uh, a couple of songs that aren't from the film. The one B side is that one side of the album is is the stuff from the film, isn't it? No, no. The opening song from Kind of Magic is One Vision, which is from Iron Eagle. Um, but you just one vision's ha- in this though. No. Yeah, in, in Highlander, they're driving along in, on yeah, in the car. One Vision is one in the, playing. It's a different version, though. Okay, yeah, because yeah. the One Vision is uh, in the actual uh, sleeve notes. It's kind of from the film Iron Eagle in the uh, in the oh, kind of course it is. Yeah, it is from Iron um, Eagle. Yeah, but it, was, but it plays it, in this as well. Yeah, um, but it's the song was written or taken for, for Iron Eagle, but uh, they put it in the kind of Magic album. But they actually yeah. had to bracket it with "This is from Iron Eagle, yeah. not Highlander." It's <laughs> <laughs> so kind of weird. But um, basically, what happened was in regards to Queen doing the music, they, I think they were approached. Um, to write some songs for the film as opposed to the actual music they score. They were only going to do one. That's right, which yeah. I think was um, Who Wants to Live Forever. Yeah. No, um, oh, was it not? No, uh, Mike Brian May. Uh, Mike Brian May. Brian May wrote Who Wants to Live Forever um, going home in a taxi after he'd seen Highlander. Uh, that was when they just, dis- once they'd seen the film, they then decided to write more music for it so apparently Brian May wrote that going home after they'd seen it well they were showing footage from it which inspired the songs I thought oh. so that would have been it I okay um, but we all seem to have different sources yeah. <laughs> anyway well, well, well basically the, um, the, so they, they did the but my album, source they... is Brian May so <laughs> no, no fair enough he did write it after he did all. yeah and he has incredibly curly hair he does um, but um, Michael Kamen actually wrote the music score to Highlander and it was uh, the, the album. Michael Kamen's music's never been officially available to get on soundtracks. Never been officially released. There was a limited edition release recently, which contained all of his music. But that's possible to get hold of, and it's cost a shit ton of money if you can. Yeah, okay. um, so basically, it's a kind of magic. The album, the Queen album, was just an album that also featured a lot of the songs from mm-hmm. from the film. And the big ones are really. Kind of magic, princes of the universe, give me the prize, yeah. and who wants to be, the, and who wants it was, to live forever. Yeah, um, the, the fact there's a couple of songs they wrote for the film that have never been released in any official format, and that was they did a cover in New York, New, New York, York, New York. Which I so can't. wish that would come out. I <laughs> and, love that. And that's available on the Highlander soundtrack bootleg, which contains all the Queen music and all the Michael Kamen music and two, one, on two discs. One moment of. Love is it? Just or? one year of love is on the just album. one year of love. Song. Th- there's another. The so, there is another song that they used to, that they put in Highlander that's not available anywhere else. I think it's a different version of one of the oh, songs. That but anyway, I mean, I I kind yeah. of was only really. Um, it was the music, the the album that kind of I was more uh, aware of and interested in than the film at the time. When I saw the film, um, it didn't have any great impact on me. So watching it again now is uh, I am kind of seeing it fairly fresh. I've not watched it in in a long time, and um, it's it, it's it's okay. It's uh, it's it's of an era, you know. Um, it's definitely of an era. Again, like Flash Gordon, I don't think it belongs to that that kind of uh, group of films that are that are going to appeal to a new generation each time. I think. Um, there are a lot of things about this that that will that do root it firmly in the in the in the decade that it was made. Um, there were some things, minor irritations. I kept getting wound up by Kurgan. The is it the Kurgan? He's the Kurgan. The yeah. Kurgan. It, it, 
constantly repeating there can be only one well we know that you've said it once yeah kind of mm. all right You'd think an immortal who'd been sword fighting for these many thousands of years would know not to utter these things while swinging the sword. (laughs) Just, just fight. (laughs) And Uh, and I did. I mean, I I did have a problem with uh, Christopher Lambert's accent, but then I thought, no, that's totally unjustified. In a film where Sean Connery, (laughs) as you say, is playing an Egyptian at the court of the the Spanish king, yeah, 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 um, you can't be. Uh, having a go at Christopher Lambert because of his accent, you know, no. and, we, and it isn't really that bad. And they do get round it by him saying he's from all sorts of places, Lots you of know? different places. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, it's definitely uh, got got something. I mean, it, it was entertaining enough, and uh, but I just don't have the familiarity with it that Pete's got, and um, it's something that uh, I could. It's it, it's never gonna. It, it's never gonna be something that I'll hold a great deal of fondness for. Really, uh, I think it's. Um, it's just a kind of curio to me, really. Sorry. I, no, I know, right. do you know what? I know exactly what you mean. People it's, have it's, to apologise for me for not, not liking it. it well, no, I, I, I don't <laughs> not like it. Hmm. Oh, so you don't have to apologise for not thinking it's the best film ever made? No. <laughs> and I don't either, really. It's just one of my personal favourites. Yeah. I, I put it completely in the same league. It's not going to hurt your feelings. That's fine. No, I think, yeah. It looks hurt. I think it's nice. It does look a bit hurt. <laughs> well, you know... Um, I'm actually quite offended that you, it's not in your top five, but uh, we can still be friends. <laughs> you see, if you slagged off the the graduate, for example, I'd turn this, I'd tear this place apart. <laughs> Tables would be going over. <laughs> you know and, and it's not even Pete's place. <laughs> <laughs> it's my fucking place. <laughs> We're in Mark's house, and I'm about to smash the place up. If you yeah, don't, because of something Pete said. Like, <laughs> oh, I love the graduate. Yeah. Just so if we, get, if we get any emails now saying, "Well, I think the graduate's shit." then the place will still be torn apart. <laughs> I actually put um, Highlander in the same league as Scarface, the, the Brian De Palma one, whereas it's a film that's that's incredibly well-loved by a vast number of people. It's huge. It's, and, yeah, and, I can't, yeah. and I can't get it. I, 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 and it's also one of those films that I think, you know what, I really fancy watching that, and then I'm always disappointed when I watch it. Um, I get that with Scarface. I get that with Highlander because uh, I'm very familiar with Highlander as well. Been, you know, um, probably because I've, I've sat there and watched it. Well, there's, there's that, <laughs> and there's also my mum who used to really fancy Christopher Lambert and, and really liked Highlander because she also liked Sean Connery. So it was, you know, for her it was a fantastic film. So I used to watch it a lot with her. Um, it's, it's a film I grew up with. Yeah, so I'm so familiar of course, with it. Of course, I mean, and I'm no kind of. Uh, I've got no room to talk on this, to be honest, because. Um, I've got a certain fondness for Highlander 2 which makes my opinion on this kind of just makes your do opi- not <laughs> makes your opinion on anything uh, on anything mm, actually I, I don't deserve to be listened to about anything <laughs> so. um, but I mean in, uh, in Highlander 2 there's like a really funny scene where uh, Sean Connery's character's watching a, an air la- an in-flight um, air safety video and it consists of passengers screaming as the plane plummets uh, and explodes on impact you know and I just think that's hilarious and of course we know Michael Ironside uh, is, yeah, is yeah. fantastic so that, that I've got a soft spot for Highlander too but um, even though it is completely and utterly awful Pete I think you should uh, I think you should tell us why it's why you love it so much just before we do though I'd just like to point out if we if any of our American cousins are listening to this I can't imagine why they would be just on the off chance that they could um, we are talking about the European cut of the film Highlander, which you guys may know as the director's cut. 
Now in America, I don't know if you know this, but in America when Highlander was first released, the studio trimmed about 10-15 minutes out of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the film has always been available uncut over in Europe and particularly in the UK. So the version we grew up with is completely different to the versions that anyone in America would have watched when it came out in 86. Yeah, they wouldn't have completely the whole scene different. with uh, Rachel as a little girl That's in the it. Nazi camp. Yep. A couple of random backflips by Fazil at the beginning. <laughs> Little bits and bobs. Even the very opening, the the wrestling scene is different. Yeah, the flashback wrestling scene. Uh, yeah. Well, there was no flashback in the wrestling That's it, scene. Yeah, there oh, was no haircuts. Oh. <laughs> it's the um, it's the Freebirds. That's right. Yeah, and there's a wrestler there called Michael Hayes. Uh, no. Yeah, that's right. I think it's Michael Hayes. Anyway, he went on to be quite a big kind of mover in the WWE. You know, behind the scenes. But uh, God, that that you know when he's kind of tossing his hair and kind of mm. <laughs> oh man, repulsive. <laughs> but that was considered back in the day mm. a decent haircut amongst their mm. wrestling. In the, um, well, well, this is this is Madison Square Garden. They're not in some no, no, back yeah, street yeah, yeah, warehouse yeah. in yeah. downtown New York. But I mean, how can you how can you put a finger on uh, kind of love and affection for something? Uh, it's kind of intangible, really. I, I don't really know how to explain. Of course, absolutely. I don't really know how to explain um, how why I love this film so much. Why I can, you know, almost speak the words. <laughs> the I know I know it as well as you know your favourite song. You know, it's that it's that ingrained. The, but if I can try and get technical on it, um, I mean, I recognise the the faults. I know it was a you know, you're talking about a musical, uh, a music video director here, pretty much through and through it uh, when he made this film. He made Razorback and uh, some stuff with um, Pete and Dud. But um, he, uh, he, he was, I mean, he was the guy who directed the first video ever to be shown on MTV, which is Video Plays a Radio Song. Um, uh, video. Play, sorry, video killed the radio star. killed the radio, radio song. Star. star. <laughs> <laughs> Bubbles. I've had by the bubbles, the, yeah. By the bubbles. Yeah, I've completely fucked them up. We're <laughs> A few beers to the good, and I completely uh, mucked up the, the title for that film, uh, song, video. But um, you it's know it's all right. You know what I mean. We'll forgive you. Um, so, but he he done a load of videos for Duran Duran, from John, I mean, for for all sorts of people, for the you know for the police, and you can see that in the film. Although, so you could almost say that he kind of pioneered the style of filmmaking, which I know, Mark, you're not a massive fan of, which is kind of the MTV generation type of filmmaking. But the kind of the kind of fast cuts that he's known for aren't as fast as the cuts that you get these days. Oh Christ, no! Yeah. And you know, in in some situations, that 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 fast cutting can work. Um, it just needs to be done right. Yeah, but uh, but to to me, you've just got a central concept, which is. I guess we were talking about it in Stakeland earlier, but I just love the fact that nothing's really explained in this film. You don't, and when when the character asks Sean Connery for an explanation, he can't give one. Mm. You know, he talks about how you know our stars just pinholes in the curtains of the night. It just it just happened. That's a lovely line. Um, you've got yeah. Why yeah. does the sun come up? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, why that's, the stars yeah. just pinholes in the curtain of the night? I mean, it's just we're just here, and that's the way it is, and we are drawn. To, you know, to fight each other, and we know that in the end there can be only one. And then Highlander Two goes and ruins all that. Yeah, I mean, oh, I, I, I would stress here that uh, <laughs> I love Highlander. I'm a bit of a Highlander purist. I fucking hate the franchise. 
I would love it to die a death. Yeah, I love it. There um, can be only one, yeah. and then three sequels then made the for TV movies, no. the cartoon, yes, <laughs> the I mean, TV series. In a film where there can be only one, it's the central premise. What I mean, and 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 such a perfect premise, and and rounded off so perfectly, why they carry on, but. Uh, you have this, you know, you have no explanation, you just know they're there, they're immortal, and they have to fight each other. You have what I think is one of the best villains, uh, Clancy Brown as the Kurgan, is just so mental, and he's enigmatic. Uh, I mean, one of my favourite scenes in the whole film is when him and Christopher Lambert, uh, the the Highlander, are in the church, and he ad-libbed a lot of that scene. And... um, when he, 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 he has little throwaway, throwaway lines, like with the priest, where the priest sort of says, um, uh, you know, he, 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 he died for our sins. You know, he's talking about, you know, the Kirkin says, he cares for these mortals. He died for our sins. The Kirkin says, that would be his undoing. <laughs> what the hell does he mean? Yeah. <laughs> what does he know? Uh, and Apparently when they were filming that, there were uh, priests in the church who were just like kind of crossing themselves as he was as he was uh, coming out with the, with these eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is you you're right so right to draw attention to that because it is one of the best scenes in the film. It's brilliant and, 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 yeah. and I must sorry to just talk over no, uh, interject on your on your um, bit Pete but that was a, a crucial moment in the film for me because I I remember thinking at that point this is what I wanted the film that that was a, a turning point for me in, in showing me what the film could have been yeah. because up to that point I, I, I felt like the Kurgan wasn't really he was just kind of a bogeyman and then here we have the emergence of this villain who's just kind of like and he, he takes the film up a notch at that point and I would have liked more of that earlier because that, that's a stunning scene I mean I, I think it, and I take that criticism that it was in that scene where he, he really you see the tradition as well because in that scene uh it's it's the Highlander. It's Russell Nash or Conor McLeod who 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 wants to kill him in the church. But he says, "Holy ground, Highlander! Remember what Ramirez taught you." <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he's yeah. saying, "You can't. We can't do this here." And he reveals that it was his. Uh, that's when he realizes, and he reveals to McLeod at that point that it was his uh, wife. Heather, it was yeah. that, that he raped, rather and, than um, and, and it dawns on him that it was McLeod's wife that he raped, not. Connery's uh, uh, and secretly <laughs> she yearned for my return <laughs> yeah. yes it was that but I'm going to try and not spoil the territory uh, well, I don't know I, I mean it's difficult that's... to spoil Highlander because can it is like you say I think people who love it and know it will know I, it and, I, I, I think for a film that's been around for 25 odd years I think it's alright to, to talk but about I it's, guess not, it's not really a twist is it it's, no there's no twist in this it, film yeah. and I guess and I did write it down because I, I did want to try and get something tangible written down here, and something or something where I could actually sort of express it without without going flummoxing myself because I love this film so much. Um, is that you have what I think is a great central concept, in that you have this unexplained these unexplained mm. immortals fighting for a prize, which is so just kind of you just you don't understand it or why it happens. It just happens. You have a, a great central character because at first you don't know if he's good or evil. In the initial sword fight in the parking garage with Fazil, when he just lobs the guy's head off, when you think normally a heroic character might show some mercy here because he has the guy at his mercy. Oh, I don't know. Cause and it, just cause, lobs his head off. Yeah, but he does yeah. say to Fazil at the beginning, wait. 
Yes, and Fazil attacks first. Fazil attacks first. Yeah, well, yeah, I know, but still, not ordinarily, when you've got a good guy, and this might hark back to handshot first, but you've got a good guy, <laughs> yeah. um, but you think, oh, you know, there was no no ceremony there, just lopped it off. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's from lots of different places. You don't you don't know what what his what his deal is. You suddenly get flashbacks to when he, you know, in the fifteen hundreds, and he's there. It doesn't explain things. It's not overt from the off. Um, so. And Christopher Lambert just plays the right. He, he's edgy, uh, he's funny, he's just completely bonkers in with that kind of crazy laugh he's got. And he just—I mean, I know he sounds awful. And <laughs> the, the scene on the lake when when Sean Connery is asking what haggis is, <laughs> I realise it's just completely ludicrous. But uh, but Sean Connery is a great mentor. You have a great villain, and it culminates in. Nothing flashy, because I know there's a lot of flash and a lot of style in this film, but basically, the end sword fight, right? The end sword fight is two guys, two swords in a huge big fuck off room. And that's the end. So, uh, and, it, and it's simple and it's pure. Uh, and, and then the end, and in the end, the prize is kind of, uh, the prize is understandable, because you know the prize is something which, which in the wrong hands could be deadly. But in the right hands, which is knowing everything, yeah, yeah. being everything and understanding everything, uh, and uh, but in the right hands could could you know lead to a hope hope for the future, which is why I hate the franchise because they take that concept which could have just been left, and um, you know they just ruin it with them all being aliens and all sorts of you know all sorts of I, you, yeah. I mean, I, 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 the the sequel is in, incredibly stupid. Um, I mean, not least because uh, things like I mean, he becomes mortal. He grows old. He becomes an old man in the sequel, and then um, General Katana uh, decides to send some people back in time to kill him. Sorry, not back in time, back to Earth to kill him. And it's General Katana who actually kind of makes him immortal again. Yeah. When mm. if you just left him alone, he'd have died. And he was an old man, wasn't he? Yeah. He just, they, they blocked the ozone la- yeah. layer, but that's what had made it yeah. Eternal Night. I mean, I just remember very little about the yeah. sequel. It's, I saw it, it it's, once an and hated it. it's an incredibly silly film, but I can't. There's just something about it that kind of I, I can't. Um, I can't bring myself to hate it. Uh, and I mean, it's it, the way they kind of shoehorn Sean Connery in the sequel. Um, he's revived by Christopher Lambert uh, McLeod, sorry, shouting very, very loudly. Yeah. Just shouts his name, and, and that, that uh, suddenly he appears, mm. and he's getting his uh, he's getting his duds fitted out in a, in a gentleman's tailor's in, in Edinburgh or something. Um, he appears as he's in a in a, a stage show. Or something. That's right. It's yeah. uh, Hamlet. Mm. Hamlet. Yeah. But I don't, it's just but it's, 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 what's what, interesting sorry. is the the, the, the um, there's an alternative cut of Highlander which 2. apparently improves it vastly. Oh, I've heard it doesn't improve it that much, but oh. it make, but the but the backstory of the immortals makes more sense. Uh, so I heard it was quite well received, but then that's what happens if you listen to the internet, innit? You read all yeah, sorts, yeah, you read yeah. anything. And so, can I just say well, that the, the, my, my objection is having a backstory to the immortals. It was much better than why does the sun rise? Oh yeah. Or no, no, stuff. I agree. You I know, mean, it's th- just there are there are issues what? with some of the the rules that they set out in Highlander mm. that I do have some issues with. But in the in the sequel, um, if you see the theatrical version, they're aliens, mm-hmm. which makes no fucking sense yeah. at all. In the alternative cut, um, they are from Earth, but they are from an ancient civilization that could time travel and they are exiled from their current 
place because they're criminals. They're wiped of their memory and they're just spat across time, which explains why Ramirez is 2,000 years older than Conor McLeod. Do you see what it means? Because they're almost hmm. kind of like reincarnated in I various points in the future, but, but I, because I of their... They're brought back together, which kind of makes more sense. Because one thing I never understood is, you know, in the in the very first Highlander, Ramirez says, you know, I was born in the so and so BC, mm. and and Conor McLeod is born in fifteen oh three or whenever it is, and you kind mm. of think, well, that's not fair. <laughs> that's like letting someone join a race on the last lap. <laughs> you had to survive for uh, fifteen hundred years without getting your head cut off, and someone else just emerges with only five hundred years. To go mm. or something. Yeah, or not even well, with Colin McLeod. It's not even that. It's you know, so it's, there's four of them left or something. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not ma- there's not many left, and he's there. So it's kind of like, hang on, mm. why is he? What what's the stop someone else and another immortal being born in 1984? Nothing. I mean, you never find out when Castagir got born. Well, that's my yeah. Um, but that's my that's my but, point. But, but yeah, this, yeah, is, this is sort of conversation that could only occur between people <laughs> like us. I love Castagir, by the way. When he turns up and says. Boom boom, yeah. <laughs> Big man like you shouldn't be afraid of little boom boom. <laughs> Puts those on your chest. Yeah. Uh, Castigate, who's now in Holby City. <laughs> yes, yeah. And was in the church, of course. Is in the chairs there um, and uh, and uh, night breed as well. The Mickey guy who turns up during that fight, actually, uh, the vigilante guy, is he? I know. Yeah, it's, it's an odd like, little scene there. Where it you is, just... because all of a sudden he appears as though he's an established character, doesn't he? Mm. It's kind of like we we well we know what this guy's up to, but it, mm. we don't because he just kind of. What's the name of the character gets his head cut off? Castigar. And then uh, the guy comes along and he and he hey what's going on Danny anyway shoots him the ex Vietnam and then yeah. he's kind of impaled on the sword he survives that actually he does yeah yeah and uh, and I just thought you know when you kind of think when you're watching a scene you're thinking did I drift off there for a moment <laughs> did, did I miss something and I really did I went back I rewound it I rewound it mm. rewound it because I thought I'd video play the radio stang <laughs> <laughs> sorry carry on. <laughs> but no, I know you mean it. All of a sudden, yeah. the, the, all the fight scenes had been kind of in regular point of view of the characters. All of a sudden, you had this the point of view of a random madman oh. obsessed with guns and the this fight scene from his point yeah, of view. Yeah, yeah, strange. It, it yeah. is a very odd moment. And I I do completely see the odd moments in this film, uh, the bizarre things. That, like you say, Mark, there's no explanation for why someone couldn't be born tomorrow who could be immortal. Yeah. But it's um, and at what point do they stop aging? Yeah, well, I always wondered. Actually, I had a theory about that. Is it's the, the point they would have died oh, while they okay. were living? Oh, you know what? That's that's um, that's bloody good. That is. But yeah, that right. was always just my theory. I, yeah. That's never written down because Connor McLeod, they discover he's immortal after he would have died in battle. Oh, in the, at the in the battle at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, the battle of Bam Bamak. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bring Richard to the clan plow. Yeah. Most <laughs> to say, it's uh, also a very fine whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of always. I what, could really go a whiskey. Mm. I really could. But it's a sort of film which makes you think of your own theories. <laughs> Why are you cruising for a piece of ass? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, that's not the yeah, right context. Not, no, sorry, um, but um, one of my favourite lines from the film. Yeah, it is wine. Faggot but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's just it's one of those films that makes you seek out theories for yourself because it's just inexplicable and a bit mad. 
Yeah. It's but, also for, for for me, Highlander is is a film of great moments, but as a cohesive whole, I just found it very disappointing. But it does have some absolutely fantastic. I mean, there's there's some real comedy bits that just don't seem to fit in with the rest of the film. There's a whole scene with the two cops, the two detectives who are trying to figure out what Nash is about and what's going on. Yeah, that has no relevant. I mean, you could have cut their storyline. It's no real relevance to the actual plot itself. I mean. You never even find out what happens to these characters. Halfway through the investigation, it all just stops. Yeah. Um, but there's a scene where they're buying hot dogs and they're trying. They're discussing the case, and the hot dog stand guy is reading the newspaper. What does baffled mean? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> what does incompetent mean? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what does baffled mean? <laughs> I just love that. Man. Oh, there's that's a nice little bit of poignancy with the girl who uh, he saves in the Second World War, and she grows up to be the girl, the woman who kind of is his, um, you know. Yeah. What's her name? Is it Rachel? Rachel. Rachel. Rachel yeah. yeah. I, I like that. And then when they say goodbye, there's a nice little moment there. Yeah. There's a lot. There's definitely a couple of real sort of emotional. Yeah. And funny enough, the, the bit that doesn't get me emotionally is his relationship with the um, the police forensic lady who no, also happens yeah, to be an true, expert. On, yeah. It's on a bit flat. Though. Not, not much chemistry there, is there really? <laughs> no, Brenda. Not at all. But Brenda. Brenda. Yeah. But his relationship yeah, with Heather. Right. Even though yeah. you only really see it in montage, um, is fantastic, and I get, I always get really upset when she dies of old age. I get really upset, and it's very, very strange. It's a very, it's a very good song. She it's dies. a great song. She dies of old age. I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah Heather. She's all grey and. Oh, sorry, mm. sorry. His, his He's, wife. Mm. That's yeah, what his yeah. wife. His right, wife from yeah. the fifteen hundreds. I mean, that's that's a, that's a great moment of the film. That I mean, that whole. You know, well, Sean just, Connery mentoring, and then you, you know, you, you must leave her brother and all yeah, that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And she it, dies in these, you know, she's in his arms and he's discussing his land of Scotland. Oh, it's wonderful. That's yeah. what I saying. There's no time <laughs> for us. Yeah, you see, you get me already, man. It's, yeah. it's a very oh, well, emotional up. film for me. I'm welling up. Um, that, close, that close enough to the microphone for you? Oh, I think that was. <laughs> Well, I don't know, Pete. Was that close enough? <laughs> it got me. It got me in 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 places which I'd <laughs> forgotten that I could get got in. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. something, something else that Freddie Mercury would have uh, would have but, said to Kenny Everett. At some oh, point. big shout out actually as well. well before we before we uh, wrap up, man, if you haven't ever seen the Princes of the Universe music video, which was directed by Russell Mulcahy, a big music video director, you got to check that video out because it's Queen. Uh, on a stage on the roof, uh, the the climax of the film where the Kurgan and um, Conor McLeod have their final fight. Uh, there's a sa- stage set up where Queen are just singing a song, and it's interspersed with clips of the movie. Okay. And you think, so far, so 80s music video from a film. But then there's like a an intercut with uh, Conor McLeod or Christopher Lambert walking in the film, and suddenly he's on the stage with Freddie Mercury with his sword. And they clash with Freddie Mercury with his mic stand and Christopher oh, Lambert man. with his sword. They clash. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that, man, that was a fanboy tingle I've, I haven't felt in ever, ever since, I don't think. Well, <laughs> it, 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 it comes as news to me that you felt a fanboy tingle when you saw Freddie Mercury wielding his sword. Well, a mic stand. Ah. Christopher Lambert had his sword. Freddie he Mercury had his iconic light mic stand. <laughs> <laughs> Man. He loves his iconics. He does. I do. <laughs> I say iconic a lot. Well, when it comes to Highlander, shh. but I just found Highlander to be 
you know a film directed by music I mean <laughs> by music director I mean it just it look I, I honestly think it just looks What's fairly he dreadful what, what did he do after that it's quite dry icy uh, Highlander 2 apart from that <laughs> oh I don't know uh, what's sure. he done since, uh, not, I'll be honest not an awful lot I'm just trying to think off the top of my head because uh, uh, he, he's he's done a lot of television stuff I think uh, he's uh, most recently he's look, he's doing Teen Wolf the uh, oh, the remake of Teen that. Wolf. Oh, what the, t- the TV series? The TV series. Um, uh, film-wise, like I say, you know, he, like I say, he did Razorback before Highlander. After Highlander two, I think he he wanted to dis- disown Highlander two. He wanted to give it that Alan Smithy mm. credit, but he couldn't because he wasn't part of the um, Directors Guild or something. Uh, but since then, I think he's had a bit of a, a rough ride. And you know, I know he's not the most stylistic director in the world. There are some little moments in that film which I do actually think look quite stylish. There's a, there's a couple, but there's also um, there's a lot of bits there where he you know the, you talking about the, the fight in the warehouse at the end where the you know and I also need to point out that I think the the sword fight in this film is awful the the choreography man is oh, terrible come on oh it's terrible the best sword fight in the whole film is that bit in 1783 when they when they have the duel. That bit's fucking genius. Oh yeah, with that the, bit, the with guy Cap- who used to be in East End. Yeah, that that bit <laughs> that bit is genius. But the um, but the sort of fight in the rest of the film. That's it or something. something. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, but oh, when he shoots his um... <laughs> shoots his, hat, his man. I don't know. What were they called? I can't uh, remember. What they're called seconds. Oh, seconds. Okay. Yeah. But uh, no, I I I I completely but, disagree. But it's, there's there's bits like. You know they're in the. Well, it's uh, not Errol Flynn, but come on. No, I wasn't expecting Errol <laughs> Flynn, but you know, Christ. And the, you know, they're, they're fighting in the in the warehouse, and there's this wonderful wide shot with all the windows behind them, and it's really beautifully lit. And you think, yeah, it looks amazing. And then Russell, for some reason, decides to go in with this amazing. Well, no, it's not amazing. That's the point. This this um, sweeping camera shot mm. that's kind of zooming in on them, and you think. You know, tracking. I'm oh, sorry, not zoom, a track. Yeah. Tracking in on them, and you think, oh wow, this is really cool. And then suddenly starts tracking back at a mm. different angle and you think what what was he doing it was it was getting me closer to the action now he's pulling me away and you think yeah if that was a band playing that would look quite all right yeah maybe there is but it's not it's bit a bit of a hangover there and 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 the film is full of moments like that where it's where the, the camera angles are really bad the editing is atrocious i mean the pacing i, I just uh and like i said I, I really do think it's a film of moments as opposed to a cohesive thing it's just Resident Evil Extinction. Oh, Christ. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think Highlander 2 is probably I mean, what finished him off. Considering it's one of my favourite films, um, I, 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 I recognise enough to know I've not followed the director's work, but uh, it's, there's, enough, there's enough in there, nostalgia, love, whatever you want to call it, uh, to forgive the director's faults. I, I, can't, I can't argue against your, your, your technical criticisms, uh, but... Uh, I just I, I love it always, I, and none, you know what? nonetheless and I don't blame you there's a lot of people out there who feel the same way and, yeah. and that's and that's because there are some truly great moments in this film and it's mm. and, and, I, and I I'm I get upset when I watch it because I think this could have been great it's like you say you see those those particular scenes um, the, you know the Kurgan and the Conor McLeod in the church um, brilliant you know mm. and I also need to just do a quick shout out if anyone's not aware of this Clancy Brown who plays the Kurgan also does the voice of uh, Mr. Crab and SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> yes. The the guy is a fucking hero of mine. I love him. I, I, Clancy Brown is great. Obviously, Shawshank Redemption was another kind of big role for him. But I mean, I, it it was it was a real shame it was cancelled. But he also did the HBO series uh, Carnival, where he was actually given a really excellent part for a change. I mean, he he, do, he does 
brilliantly bonkers performances in things like Pet Cemetery 2 he was in he was fantastic in that yeah, The Bride but he was the monster in The Bride in the as well, bride, yeah. yeah. and I think he's been given the, the title role in the upcoming film with the goon which is that um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. comic book oh, film we're talking right, about okay. um, but you know what I, I um, actually uh, he somebody um, in the comments section of the Judge Dredd thing that I did yeah suggested because uh, I'd been saying oh Ron Perlman's the man for the new I wish Ron Perlman had been cast as the new Judge Dredd someone said Clancy Brown and you thought fucking hell yeah too yeah, right what a great yeah. suggestion I, I hadn't even thought of Judge Dredd fantastic suggestion yeah and he was uh, to me in Highlander he just absolutely uh, absolutely owned it and he was only about 25 I think when he made that film and he just he yeah. dominates he's a big fella isn't he um, I know it dominates physically <laughs> big lad the performance obviously a lot of it ad-libbed and you know <laughs> but of course you are and cetera, he has that line which obviously was a Bond reference but hi I'm Candy you know, of course you are <laughs> so funny anyway I was obviously a Bond reference because isn't it uh, I'm plenty but of course you are isn't that in a Bond film is it Oh, oh um, yeah, Plenty O'Toole. Plenty O'Toole, yeah. I think Sean Connery says, but of course you are, when uh, she says, hello, I'm Plenty. I was watching... Oh, uh, no, he says, I, I'm Plenty, but of course you are. Plenty O'Toole. Well, named after your father, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I was watching... <laughs> but I can't remember what it was. Diamonds, Diamonds of Forever was on the other day, and uh, he says, uh, hello, Miss Kiss. And she says, oh, please call me Tiffany. Well, by this point, you've got the joke. Yeah. But the script is so... What? Tiffany Case? Oh, right. Ah, now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, just sod off. That's, that's kind of when the Bond film started to go down. Too, right? yeah. started going. But we should do a Bond special later on because I think they've, they've just announced the new uh, the new Bond film title. Yeah. So maybe we should do a Bond I retrospective for when the new Bond, Bond comes until the cows come home. Well, I've, I've, had my, I've had my cows come home film now, so I'll, I'll let you guys have yours now. But I think <laughs> we should stop because I'll carry on. Oh, that's no, that's fair enough. I mean, yeah, yeah. Highlander, I think, was a was a personally a missed opportunity to make a truly great film, but it's still a very it is an enjoyable film to watch, but it's just not without its faults. So, me. Um, it's a truly great film. Now that you've, st- <laughs> <laughs> but no, it isn't. <laughs> so now that you can shout loudest. So now that we're kind of um, we. we th- th- the next one up is the Christmas special, for the Christmas special we'll be covering Jingle All The Way, yep. Scrooged. Uh, Scrooged, Rare Exports, Rare Exports and Black Christmas. That's it. So then after that what do we agree we were going to do? Um, we're not quite sure yet. We know we, we know we've got, got a few Kevin lines Russell. in the fire, a few ideas. Mm. We'll, we'll surprise you, but yeah. Yeah, if, if you want to see any of those four Christmassy films before we record our next uh, podcast, feel free. Yeah. A couple and of we, comedy gems there. And <laughs> we we, we, <laughs> and, we uh, promise this time we'll actually do that podcast. I, I, once again, I cannot apologise enough for the Halloween one. If you did actually go out and watch The Believers, Halloween 3, and the uh, short film The Lottery... Um, hey, tell us what you think. Yeah, well, you know what? Yeah, tell us what you think. Um, you do, you yeah. do the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Record a podcast, but don't publish it. Just send it to us. Yeah, and we'll copy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we, yeah, we, we really are sorry. But we promise it was kind of just one of those I'm weird not. I mean, I, I, I couldn't, it couldn't be helped. It couldn't be helped. It, it right. couldn't be helped. But we are still, we're, we're, we're sorry because we wanted to do it. We were yeah, looking absolutely. forward to hearing each other's opinions. And, and, and to be fair, we just thought do, doing those films, doing a Halloween special, 
a month after Halloween just probably wasn't yeah, a bit, a bit silly. Honest, I'm so glad I didn't have to talk about or watch Halloween 3 to be honest Halloween 3 is a good film oh, <laughs> but, uh, it's the best Halloween sequel anyway we should yeah we should uh, anyway right okay so, so Optic Nerds at hotmail.co.uk if you, you want were to. Were you going to say .cock? I always said .cock <laughs> after watching Nathan Barley. Um, Aren't we doing a Herzog thing at some point? We'll be doing a Herzog thing. We're going to do a Herzog thing. I think we're going to do a Jello thing. You're going to do a Jello thing. Ken Russell, we're going to do a department. For those of you who've been waiting in vain for us to get serious, hmm. we've um, got a few, like say, a few, yeah. a few irons in the plants. Yes. We're going to um, review the thing, the the, the new. The thing at yeah, some think, point, yeah. and um, oh, <laughs> you wait till our Easter special. Oh, the Easter special is going to knock don't, don't, your, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> it's it's going to knock your bloody socks off. But if you want to contact us, ask any questions. OpticNerds at hotmail.co.uk. You can follow Phil on Twitter. You can. Phil's got a lot. Of you followers. can follow Phil. You can't follow me and Pete because we haven't set up. Yeah, we're quite we're quite bad at setting up our Twitter. I mean, we have got OpticNerds Twitter thing, but we just don't. Phil, use what's, it your, what's your Twitter thing? My Twitter name yeah. is uh, it's Phil underscore Bez B E Z. Okay, and we've also got a Facebook page as well. So I know, I know some of you have commented on that, and we'll try and get on there and, and reply to any comments you send as well. Oh, and by the way, that as far as we can ascertain, there is no snooker horror film. No, although um, uh, I think it was Kevin Kevin Pym. Yeah, who said that uh, there was a film made about. Uh, Hurricane Higgins starring Denzel Washington <laughs> which I thought was brilliant so yeah so thanks for thanks for listening to uh, the three of us um, come back join us for the next one it's uh, it's going to be a, a, a Christmas feast I think so do you guys want to say goodbye Phil? love you much Lee see you again soon you want to say goodbye Phil sorry I was just suppressing a little, a little burp there. hey it's you know just let it happen, man. We're all human. We are. Goodbye, everyone. I'm bored. What play thing can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we do that again? Yeah.
I know. Right, okay. I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. <sighs> no. Peter, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet. <laughs> How peaceful this looks. <laughs> so good to that game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, okay. <clears throat> Peter, I'm bored. What play thing can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet. <laughs> 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 